You are listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. We want everyone everywhere to have an everyday relationship with Jesus, and we hope that this helps you do just that. Church, we are debt-free, all 14 campuses. We have zero debt. One more time, let's put our hands together for that. Yeah. Man, we're pumped up about that. And so I hope you've been enjoying the news. If you missed last week, you should go back and watch the video. My favorite part is seeing my friend Michael Mulliken get all emotional. Uh, Maybe it is for you as well. Hey, if you're new to New Spring, uh, glad that you're here today. We've got a lot of cool things that are happening in our church. And uh, I just want to say that I'm going to get to preach about some of them. We're going to talk about the gospel and, and good news. But I've gotten asked this question a ton over the last week. Now that we're out of debt, what are we going to do? Well, I'm glad you asked. So I want you to take your phone out, church. Uh, We want to share later in the service a big surprise with you. But one of the things we're going to be able to do because we're not having to pay a bank anymore is we're going to share the good news with everyone everywhere. And so we're going to put this QR code up on the screen. If you're new here, I want to welcome you. Uh, Every single week we have dozens and dozens, hundreds of folks here for the very first time. We know they're here in Kid Spring and Infused because they tell us, but if you're in the room and you're new here, I want you to use that QR code. Let us know that you are new with us, and we will actually make a $100 donation in your name, in your honor, to Illuminations. That's one of our partner ministries that actually translates the Bible into languages around the world that don't yet have the Bible translated. Did you know over one billion people on planet earth right now don't have the gospel translated into their language. And so we're going to try to do our best to partner with what they're doing at Illuminations. And here's the good news. Not just today, but over the next several weeks, all the way up until Easter, for every single first-time family, individual that comes in Kid Spring Fuse and on a Sunday and sends us their new here QR code, we're going to, as a church, make a donation to Illuminations in their name, on their behalf. And so it's going to be a whole lot of folks that get to hear the gospel because of what you guys are doing, because we want to, again, share the good news with everyone everywhere so that they might have an everyday relationship with Jesus. So if you're new here, please fill that out. If you're a a saint that calls New Spring Church home, this is a tool for you to invite over the next several weeks as we are Leaning into the Easter season, for every family person you invite, we're going to give $100 in their name, okay? So if you're with me, say, I'm with you. Awesome. All right, well, cool. Well, open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew. That's where we're going to jump in today. Or you can open up your notes to the book of Matthew on the the app. We'll have all the notes preloaded there. And I got to share this with you because... You know, we didn't know exactly when this debt was going to be zeroed out. We knew it was coming, and this is the first time I've been in front of you guys to to share a little bit of my personal excitement. And I just want to look you in the eye and tell you thank you. We do have a faithful God, and we have a faithful people at New Spring Church. 23,400 families, that's not individuals, that's families, have been involved in helping us get out of debt over the last six years. That's a big deal. So thank you for being a generous people and trusting this church with your tithes and offerings. And, uh, and so I was by myself when I heard the news. I was actually uh, in a seminary cohort. Um, I'm at seminary at Wheaton University. And so I wasn't with the team here. I wasn't with my wife to celebrate. I got a text from the bank. It said, congratulations, you're out of debt. And I'm sitting in a class with all these guys that I, I, I know but they don't care about us being out of debt at New Spring Church. Like, I care, and I'm just over there just like super extrovert, excited, trying, who, to, who am I going to high-five? And I had to wait for a week to get back here to South Carolina to celebrate. 
And so I was staying in a, in a hotel room by myself, just talking to God in my, in my journal when I wasn't in class. And I was just, Lord, what's next? We're, what do you want for New Spring Church? And I just was reminded, the Lord reminded me of my first days on staff here. And back in 2006, 2007 school year, I came on staff here at New Spring Church as the youth pastor. And for those first, that first year, I didn't read my Bible anywhere except my devotional time was in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's where I spent my time. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because I knew if I was going to shepherd young people at New Spring Church, I needed to be absolutely acquainted with Jesus. I needed to understand how he operated and how he worked. And I wanted them to know him too. And so over these next weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to spend time as a church in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So this week I've got Matthew, next week Mark, Luke, John, and then we'll be at Easter. And we're going to give you a little bit of a, of, of a synthesis of the Gospels. So if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to open up uh, a notebook and write some of these things down because I think they're really important. They'll be very helpful and I want you to think about this church. Think about this not as someone who's just hearing it, but think about taking this home and sharing it with your kids or taking it home and sharing it with a neighbor because I believe the Lord wants you to share the good news of the gospel with other people. But Matthew was written by a Jewish man to a Jewish audience. And it's one of the largest, most referred to gospels. And I'm gonna share a little bit about the, the gospel of Matthew today specifically that I think is going to be super encouraging, gonna refresh you. But here's the question we're gonna to answer today and over the next several weeks. Who is the gospel for? Who is the gospel for? This good news, which is what the word gospel means, it comes from the Greek word euangelion. It's where we get our word evangel or evangelist. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four books are known as the four gospels. They were first coined the gospels by a, a famous Christian named Justin Martyr. He was the one that first used that term to call them the gospels. And each one of the gospels has a very specific agenda. And I'm going to share with you the gospel of Matthew's agenda today. And so if you've got your Bible open, I'm going to read the first 17 verses. Now, let me just say this. This is spring forward week in church world, and it's pouring the rain today. So I want you to go ahead and give yourself a hand, those of you that are in the room, because you showed up today in a big, big way. It's raining. Give our parking team a hand as they were out there serving with umbrellas. and Yeah. And uh, if you're at home, you should just feel the subtle shame and guilt of being at home today. We love you. We'll see you next week, all right? But I'll tell you what. Some of y'all were praying for the pollen count to go down. And God answered our prayer, didn't he? There's no pollen to be found in South Carolina today. It's all uh, been washed away. But here's what I'm asking you. I'm about to read 17 verses full of Hebrew people's names, and I wasn't raised speaking Hebrew. So I need some grace today. And on, on Spring Forward Sunday, I need you to laugh a little harder at the preacher jokes, okay? Maybe amen just a little bit more, because, you know, it is what it is. I'm caffeinated, but I need you to be caffeinated. If you're with me, say I'm with you. All right, let's jump in. First 17 verses of Matthew. We'll pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. 
And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, or is it Salmon? I don't know. And Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph. Asaph was the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, to, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Come on, somebody. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together. Y'all's prayers were answered. I have no idea if I pronounced those right, but I said it with confidence. And it's amazing. Now, honesty today in church, how many people, when you open up the gospel of Matthew, you see all that, you skip right on down to verse 18 where it says, now the birth of Jesus, and you skip all those names. Show hands. Come on, somebody. Be truthful. Okay. Honest people at the 1115. Well, me too. Now, here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to tell you why I believe you should never skip over those names again. Never again. It's going to bless you. And in order to do it, i got to tell you a little story about Ancestry.com and my journey. How many of you on campuses today have done 23andMe or Ancestry.com before? Okay. So if you don't know this, the Human Genome Project has been able to isolate our DNA and tell us how DNA works and where we're from and where we're related to. And it gives you all kinds of percentages. If you've heard Pastor Clayton talk about this before, this is how he found his adopted family. But years ago, my wife bought me a subscription to Ancestry.com. Here's all you got to do. You take your spit. You put it in a little vial, you mail it off, and then they mail you back a, a passcode. You get online, and they tell you exactly where your DNA came from. Well, my last name is Cooper, and so that's not really hard to find out that you're from England. And so my whole life, I thought that that was like the primary place that I'm from, England. My mother's family, I knew that she was, she was from Scotland, so I knew I had a lot of England and Scotland in there. But you know what Ancestry.com told me? The most prominent Ancestry DNA came from Vikings. It meant there was a lot of raiders back in the day coming over on a boat, and they were having their way over there in England, if you know what I mean. If you don't know what I mean, ask your parents. They'll tell you what I'm talking about. 
So I got some Scandinavian blood. I got some English blood. I've got some Scottish blood. I have some Welsh blood. I have some German blood. And the furthest away you could find my ancestry was the Balkans. Have no idea how the Balkans got in there, but they're in there. So I do all the reading. I'm a nerd like this. I'm following along your percentages. When everybody came over to America, very cool. Put it away. Forget about it. Haven't looked at it in years. Until a couple of years after I hadn't looked at it, I get an email. Right man box. Open up the email from Ancestry.com. It's from a lady in Louisiana. Says, hey, Brad, it seems that we're first cousins. I'm trying to find my biological parents. And apparently you know them because they're your aunt and uncle. I wrote back to said cousin. I don't think so. We know all our cousins. She wrote back. That she had taken Ancestry.com and her uncle was in the Carolinas and she wanted to meet him. Now, you feeling the tension here? I have news that nobody else in my family has, apparently. What do I do with it? Uh, well, I just went and hit delete. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I actually reached out to my family and goes, guess what, everybody? I've got a surprise. And sure enough, one of my uncles... Years ago, while he was in the military, had gotten his girlfriend pregnant. And she had kept the child and given the child up for adoption. And nobody had ever known about this. Complete secret in my family. Until Ancestry.com. Now I'm telling some of y'all, y'all are like, man, I ain't taking that Ancestry.com. I just, you can have that. Well... Hey, Jesus told us what's done in the dark will be brought to the light, did he not? Come on, somebody. But here's the deal. I will share the news, and sure enough, I've got a first cousin. She's almost 50. She was raised in Louisiana, and what's really cool about this is her mom and dad ended up getting married later, ended up having two kids, a brother and a sister, and so this long-lost cousin ends up having Brother and sister that are not halves, but wholly hers, and she looks just like them. Now, guess what? She comes to our family gatherings. We do Thanksgiving together. We do Christmas together. And now, everybody everywhere knows that, man, ain't nobody perfect up in here. And that's good news, because ain't nobody perfect in the family of Jesus either. So the reason I use that as a jumping off point is I need you to know something. When Matthew opened up his gospel, he had an agenda. He had, listen to me, he was a Jewish man writing to a Jewish audience, and he does not share a perfect Jewish genealogy. That's what you'd expect. He actually shares a whole bunch of genealogy with five massive stories of dysfunction and division and brokenness, the kind of things you'd want to sweep under the rug and not tell anybody about. And this is why you should not skip over the first 17 verses. Now, everybody that was raised with Torah in the Jewish context, which was who Matthew was writing to, they would have known all about it. So if you're taking notes or if you want to circle some of these names, I just want to mention the five of them. The first one, and they were underlined in the scriptures when we were reading it, is the name of Tamar. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. You can go read all about Tamar in Genesis 38. But Tamar, she, she played a big joke, I don't know if it was a joke, on her father-in-law, and he slept with her. And the whole story is recorded in Genesis 38. That whole family dysfunction. So I don't know what kind of dysfunction you got in your family going on, but Tamar slept with her daddy-in-law, 
and she's in the story. And Matthew wanted you to know that. Go a little bit further and you'll see another name, the name Rahab. Everybody say Rahab on three, one, two, three, Rahab. Do you know about Rahab? Maybe you do. If you know about Rahab, does anybody remember what Rahab's job was, her vocation? Anybody remember what it was? What was she? She was a what? She was a prostitute, a harlot. You can go read all about it. It's in Joshua chapter 2. She was the prostitute, the harlot, who hid the spies, the Hebrew spies that had walked into the promised land, that were spying out the new promised land. Somehow, someway, these young men found their way to the prostitute's house. The harlot's house. I don't know how they knew about it. The Bible doesn't say. I'm just saying it's in the scripture. And I'm just saying they probably knew about it the way you knew about the harlot's house. Somebody knew about it. Somebody had been there before. Say, so slip right into Jericho. There's a prostitute, a harlot. Her name's Rahab. Rahab's place right there. You know, and uh, that's where the fellows went. Don't know what they did there, but she, listen to me, she's in the story because she hid the spies. She was a Canaanite. She wasn't a part of the Hebrew nation. But when Joshua and his army came and they walked around the walls of Jericho, Seven days, and on the seventh day, seven times, and they shouted, and the walls fell down. Guess who didn't get killed in the collapse of the walls, but got invited in to be a part of the special people of God? Rahab and her family. And you know what? Matthew wants to make sure we don't forget it. Because the gospel of Matthew has an agenda. There's another name in there. Her name is Ruth. Does anybody remember who Ruth was? She was not a Hebrew person. She actually was another tribe. Does anybody know the tribe? She was a... Moabite, okay, Got some people down here on the front row at 1115 studying their Bible. Ruth was a Moabite, meaning she wasn't a part of God's people either. She had married an Israelite. He had died, and she was released to go back to her people. Her mama, Naomi, as a matter of fact, said, Ruth, I don't have another son to marry. Go back to your people. And Ruth famously said, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. She clung to Naomi, and then she was invited in to be a part of the family of God. Ruth the Moabite, she's a part. She's in. Her ancestry.com is right in the line of Jesus Christ. A little further down, we just got done reading an entire, and preaching from an entire book written by King Solomon called Ecclesiastes. That's where we've been. But right there in the end of verse 6, it said, And David was the father of Solomon... Solomon's mom was a lady named Bathsheba, but Matthew didn't call her Bathsheba. That would have been too sweeping under the rug. He calls her the wife of Uriah. He wanted to make sure that everybody reading this remembered that famous King David, he had stepped out on his marriage with another man's wife. And they're in the story. That dysfunction is a part of the story. Bathsheba, who was married to Uriah, who would ultimately become Solomon's mom, they're in the story here. And then the last one I want to point down is all the way down at the very bottom, verse 14, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Now in the day, Mary would have been Mary, with quote fingers, the virgin. You know what I mean? Because Mary was with child and pregnant and swore up and down that she had been impregnated, not by her boyfriend Joseph, not by her betrothed, but rather by the Holy Spirit, that an angel had come to her at night and told her that she would have God's child. And so you know what that meant when people saw Mary and they go, hey, Mary's not married yet to Joseph? No, no, no. Mary's a virgin impregnated by uh, the Holy Spirit. 
Mary, you know, the virgin. And that's the way she would have been spoken about for years. Guarantee it. Up until she actually has Jesus. Jesus grows up for 30 years. He is the Messiah, dies on a cross, resurrects in power three days later, and now all of a sudden Mary the Virgin is Mary the Mother of God. Here's my whole point, and this is what I want you to make sure you get because it is so significant if we're going to take up the gospel message today. The people that the world has written off, Jesus has written in. Let me say it one more time. The people that the world, the Jewish nation, would have written off Canaanites, Moabites, people with dysfunction and brokenness in their family. Matthew wants to make sure, before you read my account, the, the, the 28 chapters that I have written about Jesus, you need to know right up front the backstory, the genealogy, the ancestry.com, the 23andMe. This is a story about how the good God of the Bible and all the people that everyone else has written off, Jesus Christ has written in. That's good news, New Spring Church. And so don't skip those 17 verses because they're preaching. They're preaching the story of dysfunction and brokenness and how God has come to a dysfunctional and broken people. And so let me just stand back for a moment and just say, have you felt ever before like you've been written off? Have you felt ever before that Jesus found a way to write you in? Have you felt ever before that there's religious people or religious culture that has pushed you out and said you're not good enough, you've got too much of a backstory, you've got too much shame, too much guilt, people know you by the way you used to live, too much of that in your, in your closet, you can't be a part. Well, this gospel is for you. This good news is for you. Matthew's gospel is absolutely packed, stacked, and loaded with people that the world had written off, and Matthew's going to go out of his way to make sure that the world knows Jesus wrote them in. If you've got a hard text, I want you to open it up, because chapter 2, we're just going to take a, a tour of the Bible. This is literally what I've done in my scripture. The tour of the Bible, chapter 2, is the story of the wise men. Question, New Spring Church, were the wise men part of God's special Hebrew people, yes or no? No. But are they written in or are they written out? They're in. Chapter 2 starts with the wise men coming from Persia, from the Far East. They're written in. Then you go down to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is preaching a message of prepare the way. And one of the special audiences for John the Baptist are the Pharisees and the religious leaders, people that culture would have said they're in. And what does John the Baptist actually say? You're out, you brood of vipers. Repent. Get right with God. You've allowed your religious activity to merit you favor with God, and that's not the gospel. The, the axe is laid at the tree, and if you don't repent, you're going to be out. Then Jesus shows up in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. We preached it last fall, and one of the special emphasis of the Sermon on the Mount is a sobering conclusion where Jesus says, on that day in judgment, many will come and say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not know you? Did we not? And Jesus, Jesus is going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. You thought you were in based on your merits and your activities and your, your ethnicity, but you've missed the point of the gospel. You've missed the point that I have come to open the gospel up way bigger than your mind thinks. People that you think don't deserve it, they're getting in. The people that you have an, a tendency to write out, they're going to get invited in. And listen to me, listen to me, look at me. Jesus' gospel is radically inclusive. We've got to be reminded today as we look towards Easter and as we look towards our world today that the gospel message 
of Jesus is radically inclusive. It goes against our cultural narratives and our cultural norms. It goes against our prerogatives and and priorities and the people we think are privileged and, and their pedigree gets them in. Matthew wants us to know that the folks you have written out, God's written in. You keep going, I mean, it's just crazy, y'all. You need to do this at some point. Just keep going through the Gospel of Matthew. You're gonna see all these people in, 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 out, out, out. But I wanna just emphasize the end of chapter eight for a moment. The end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter eight, it starts off with Jesus cleansing the leper. Now, question for everybody, not rhetorical. Were lepers in or were lepers out from the Jewish culture of their day? They're out. Matter of fact, they had to say, unclean, unclean, cross the road, walk down the other side of the street. They were so out, they couldn't be near anyone. Out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. Matthew chapter 8, my title of that section says, Jesus cleanses the leper. And he says, no, you get to be in. The next paragraph is the faith of a centurion, the faith of a Roman soldier. Now, if there was any group of people that were not going to be in, it was going to be those pagan Roman oppressors from the other side of the Mediterranean. And what does Jesus say about the Roman soldier, New Spring Church? He says, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. The Roman soldiers written in. What? This is, this is the entire agenda of Matthew's gospel. But I got one more point to make before I move on from this point. There's one that is so obvious that is the very tip of the spear of Matthew's gospel that he wants to make sure we all get. It's so obvious, it's right in front of our noses. Does anybody know the person that was written out by cultural standards and norms that Jesus writes in? Does anybody know who that might be? It might be the one that the gospel's named after. This is called the gospel of Matthew. Does anybody remember what Matthew did before he met Jesus? He was a tax collector. He was completely out. He was completely written out. And probably from that cultural standpoint, should have been. He was born a Jew, understanding Torah and law and understanding how God had made promises to the people of God. And he would spit in the face of God's special old covenant by going and working for the Roman oppressors. What a betrayer. What a backstabber. How shameful should Matthew have been? And yet, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, look what the scripture records in Matthew's gospel. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. I can just imagine Matthew writing these words because he wanted to make sure we hear the message of the gospel. Who's the gospel for? As Jesus passed on from there, he saw me. He saw me. He saw me sitting at the tax booth, no friends, all alone, because I had betrayed my nation and my heritage. I was working for the Romans. I was working for coin. And I had betrayed my inheritance for coin. But it didn't keep Jesus from calling me. And he records, he saw me and he said to me, follow me. And so that tax collector, old Matthew, the one who everybody had written out, that Jesus invited to follow him, He got up and he followed him. And then look what he records. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors, many sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your rabbi, your teacher, eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick, 
They need a physician. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. And I say today at New Spring Church, and praise God he did, because my name's included in there, and I hope yours is as well, because he came for me too. Amen? He came for us. And we cannot, no matter how long we've been in church and how many sermons we've heard preached and how much Christianized culture we've got around us, we cannot forget that the good news of the gospel came for broken men and women like us. Matthew's gospel won't let us forget it. He came for me. And so we've got to do a, a really good job as we begin our journey, New Spring Church, of recalibrating to the gospel. Can you believe that the good news of Jesus was radically inclusive, so inclusive, in fact, that it's going to make us uncomfortable? Now, let me just bring this up. Matthew was a tax collector, day in and day out. That was his nine to five. Does anybody happen to know the city he was a tax collector in? He was in the city of Capernaum. It was on the very northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. Who do you think he was taxing every day? Anybody know? He was taxing a lot of people there in Capernaum, but he was taxing fishermen. We know some of their names. Peter, Andrew, John, and James. Peter, Andrew, John, and James, don't you think they used to probably have conversations out on the boat while they were fishing about that no good for nothing tax collector Matthew, that guy who had betrayed his inheritance and his heritage, that guy that they had to come and see every single day after they caught their fish to pay Caesar his taxes. Don't you know they used to talk about him all the time? They probably spoke about him in subtweets on their Twitter profile and their Facebook. They probably forwarded emails about him to all the other people that were on their email chain. They didn't like him. No, they hated him. And how do you think Peter Andrew, John, and James felt the day they were following their new rabbi and he looked across the tax collector booth and he looked at him and he said, hey, you're in. Come and follow me. Don't you think they had to reconcile something in their hearts that if they were going to actually be a part of this new kingdom of heaven, this new way of following Jesus, that they were going to have to bury the hatchet with a lot of the people that they used to have it out with. Here's what I need you to feel at New Spring Church today. Nobody has a problem with the radical inclusivity of Jesus because they love to hear the good news that they've been invited in. But people start to have a problem when that messes with their interpersonal relationships. Amen? Come on, let this sting the way it needs to. We have a problem when it means that we might have to go back to that old business acquaintance who stabbed us in the back and we might have to say, oh, you're following Jesus now? Well, because he forgave you, I forgive you too. People have a problem when it means that we might have to forgive our ex-husband or our ex-wife. We might have to forgive somebody that did us dirty, that did us wrong. We might have to actually extend forgiveness to folks in our lives, in our communities, in our day in and day out, in the humanity, in the realness of life. Because Jesus is radically inclusive, it calls me to be radically inclusive too. And I just want to go on record and say that makes me uncomfortable. But I want to go on record and say that's the gospel, friends. And so here's the priority. There is a radical inclusivity to the good news of Jesus, but we also have to understand there is a radical claim to the exclusive way to be saved, and that's following Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And the way the world gets changed is when Christians like you and I hear this good news gospel, we carry it out to its end, but we also, we can do just like Jesus did and know that their sin is 
is under the blood of Christ. And we can say, because Christ forgives them, I do too. Amen? That's good news. That's the way that I am operating in my interpersonal life. And I want to commend it to you because Matthew wants to make sure we understand that's the gospel of Jesus. That's the gospel of the kingdom. If you'll receive that today, even hard words, would you say amen? Amen. Now the last place I want to leave you about the agenda of Matthew is in what's known as the Great Commission. It's probably the most famous of the commissions, and it's recorded in Matthew 28. But this is after the resurrection of Christ, when he has shown himself to be, in fact, the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. He's resurrected in power, and right before he ascends to heaven to go and begin preparing a place for us that he's going to bring back to us one day, he commissions his church, he commissions you and I. He says these words in Matthew 28. Verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and you make disciples of all nations. I want to underscore all nations. That is radical inclusivity at the max, especially to Jewish folks who would have thought they were the only nation that the God of the Bible cared about. Go and make disciples of all all nations, well, what about those people that worship that God a generation ago? Doesn't matter. Go make disciples of them. What about those people who, who are this way or that way? Doesn't matter. That's who you've been called to go and reach with the good news. Go and make disciples of all nations, but you've got to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I need everybody to look at me. Here is when the radical, inclusive gospel holds hand with the radically exclusive claim of the way of the gospel. And the way of the gospel, the way of forgiveness, as it's said right there, Matthew wants to make sure we see it, is that it's through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that there, listen to me, there are not many ways to the kingdom of heaven. There is a radical invitation that goes out. Everyone, everywhere gets to be invited. But the only door to the radical inclusion of the kingdom of heaven, Matthew wants to make sure we hear it, is the exclusive way of Jesus Christ. Baptize them in the name of the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you, you've got to teach them what I have taught you. So this is so crazy. We can't fall off on one ditch or the other. We've got to see that everyone is invited, but there is only one way. Radical inclusivity, but one way to forgiveness. It holds hands right there in the Gospel of Matthew. And so you know what they did? They went and they began to make disciples of all nations. And for 2,000 years, blood, sweat, and tears had them making disciples of all nations, sacrificing and making a way so that through time and effort over in the state of South Carolina, Folks like me and you could be swept up in the radical good news of the gospel. Aren't you grateful to Jesus for that? Aren't you grateful to Jesus that he could forgive us for what? Our brokenness and all of the things that are in our families, that are in our ancestry. Man, if you're here today, hear that. It doesn't matter what you brought into this service or what you're listening to this with. Jesus has already made a way. His whole family tree is filled up with brokenness and, and division. And I mean, so it doesn't matter. You could have come in here with, you know, whatever. Jesus is saying, come on. I've made a way. And so one of the things that I wanted to tell you about, I told you we had a big surprise, is we take seriously this radically inclusive gospel. And so now that we're out of debt, we've told you guys that we're going to build 10 churches around the world. We're going to plant them. And I want to let you know that that number is no longer 10. That number is already 9. 
Because while we were working to get out of debt, we were also working to train up a pastor and to be a covering for them. And so I want to introduce you that we are taking this not just hearers of the word today on a Sunday, but we're being doers of the word every day. I want to introduce you to Pastor Simon Mwambi and his wife Phyllis and the church that we've been able to partner with and plant in Kenya. This is them right here. And so uh, Pastor Simon is the son of a pastor. He was raised by a dad who was a pastor, and uh, he's had a relationship with our church for right around six years. He and Pastor Shane Duffy talk every month. He has already finished seminary. He has finished church planting training. And back on February the 5th, last month, they had their very first church service gathered over just three hours north of Nairobi, Kenya. And they had church over 600 folks in attendance on their very first church service. I want to show you some pictures from that first church service. There they are. And so he and his associate pastor have both graduated from seminary, and he's preaching the word. He's a man of fire. And uh, not only did they have a great church service that impacted the community, y'all, they also have uh, been walking and journeying with some of our missions team. You'll recognize some of our missionaries here in just a moment that have gotten to meet them. There's the Davis family, and there's uh, Austin Duffy, who oversees our missions department here, and some of our team that was there with them. And so here's the news, church. We don't just preach the gospel. We're trying to live it every single day. Jesus Christ said, go and make sure that everyone everywhere hears the good news, and we are about it at New Spring Church. Church. We're going to do it, and we're going to do it, and we're going to do it, and we're going to do it until we die and go be with our brothers and sisters in eternity. And I want to invite you to get in on it, all right? So not only pray for Pastor Simon and the team, but I want to invite you to take the good news in these next several weeks as a tool to get your neighbors to church, get your loved ones to church, get your coworkers to church, get your classmates to church. And as we invite over the next five weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to give $100, like I said at the very beginning, for every first-time individual that gets invited to church, we're going to make a partner donation to Illumination so that the good news of the gospel could go to the billion people plus that have never heard the Bible, the gospel, translated in their own language. If you're with us and excited about that, could you put your hands together? So, I showed you that slide at the very beginning of the day. Here it is one more time. If you're new here today with us, I know it's raining. I know it was Spring Forward Sunday. But if you'll fill that out, we'll make a donation in your name. And if you're not new with us, you call New Spring Home, I want you to invite, invite, invite. Because we don't just preach about it, we believe it. Everyone everywhere has been invited to the good news of Jesus. That's what the Gospel of Matthew is about. So would you stand to your feet? We're going to respond today to that good news. I'm going to invite our ministry teams to come. And if you're a Christian in the room and you want to come and receive communion today, come and receive it fresh today with a reminder that Jesus, he wrote your name in the book of life. He saw you and he was willing to come after you in the middle of whatever he saved you from. And so come and take in his body and his blood today and be reminded as you go out that you're called to take his agenda, radical inclusive agenda to the world you're in. If today you're not a Christ follower, but maybe you've felt Jesus wooing you like Matthew did that day, saying, come and follow me, and you want to take him up on his radically inclusive invitation, then I want you today to step out of your seat. When everybody moves to take communion, go to the cross in your room, and we will lead you to Christ right there. We'll pray with you and pray for you and believing that God's got a plan for your life that's an eternal plan to give you a hope and a future. Today, if you want to move through giving your tithes and offerings, I just want you to know 
this is as good a news a day as we have, that our dollars and cents are going to places that you and I will never go. Like three hours north of Nairobi to Pastor Simon and Phyllis and their church, and we are trying to take the good news of Jesus to everyone everywhere. Thank you for those of you that are trusting us with your tithes and offerings. So worship, praise, take communion, respond. Come and receive prayer today, but be encouraged that the good news of the gospel is going out to everyone everywhere, and no rain and losing an hour of sleep can stop that from happening. Amen? Let's pray, and we'll respond. Father God, thank you for the good news. Thank you today that your gospel is going out all around the world and that we get to play a part in it. We're humbled by that. We thank you that you've given us opportunity. And Lord, now would you help us to be reminded of our own story, that you saw us sitting at our tax booth, sitting on the outside, and you invited us to be in. And that we would be moved or refreshed by that reality again, that we would not get over our own testimony. And that, God, we would be equipped with that agenda as we go out and we eat lunch or we go into our jobs or into our schools, that we would open our mouths and we would invite others to come and be a part of that gospel good news story. Give us strength to go and do what you have done for us. You are a missionary God and you've created a missionary church so that we might be a missionary people filled with the good news of radical, inclusive gospel. We thank you. Be honored now as we respond. In Christ's name, amen. Feel free to take Thanks for listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. Make sure to visit our website at newspring.cc for more content, including videos, articles, and devotionals to help you have an everyday relationship with Jesus. Or plan a visit to one of our campuses across the state of South Carolina.